Hello and thank you for joining us here at the Big Sandy Heritage Center Museum's podcast. My name is Jason Belcher. I'm the Executive Director of the Big Sandy Heritage Center Museum. And today we're going to be talking about the history of and the significance of Veterans Day for our Veterans Day podcast. Since it is now November 11th when I'm sharing this, I, I recorded it a little bit earlier, but I, we plan to release it on, uh, on November 11th itself, which is Veterans Day. And it's a day that's significant for many families and many individuals across eastern Kentucky and across central Appalachia because they have family members or loved ones who are serving or have served. I know what that's like because I'm a veteran myself. I served on active duty in the Air Force for 10 years and deployed to Iraq in 2006 and 2007. My wife served on active duty for eight years and she deployed to Operation Allied Force back in the late 90s, I think 98 or 99. And our oldest son is now officially in the delayed enlistment program for the United States Marine Corps. And he'll be shipping out to basic training in June of 2023. So like many households across the region, we respect and understand the importance of Veterans Day, which is why we wanted to take today and talk a little bit more about the history of Veterans Day and the significance of the day. Of course, Veterans Day as we know it now began as Armistice Day, which was originally set on November 11th, 1918 to commemorate the closing or the ending rather of the First World War, which was at that time known as the Great War. Over time, actually the legislation that was um, that commemorated Armistice Day wasn't passed until 1938, and that was known as Armistice Day. Um, a few years later, of course, after World War II and after the Korean War, in 1954, the 83rd U.S. Congress, um, after a significant lobbying by a lot of veterans' organizations, amended the original legislation of 1938 and substituted the word veterans uh, where the word armistice had once been. And President Eisenhower signed that legislation into law uh, on June 1st of 1954, turning it into Veterans Day, which is what we know it um, as today. There was a couple of times after that that the date moved around a little bit, and I believe it was President Ford that returned it back to November 11th, and that is where it is uh, today and where it remains so that we can honor the sacrifice and the service of veterans that have served their country uh, by uh, serving in the United States military, whether whatever the branches, whether the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marines, or the Coast Guard, um, whether active duty or reserve, that's, um, that's the qualification for service. I also wanted to point out just a, a brief distinction between um, Memorial Day and Veterans Day. You know, I hear this a lot. Um, I see a lot of times on on veteran or rather on Memorial Day, folks will will issue thank yous to the service of the of folks who have worn the uniform. Memorial Day is a a holiday that is specifically to commemorate the fallen, as in those who died uh, while serving their country. Whereas Veterans Day is simply a day to honor and thank everyone who served. So Memorial Day is just for the folks who died while serving. Veterans Day is for everyone who ever wore the uniform, whether they, they served on in uh, combat or not, um, whatever their role was. If you wore the uniform, we appreciate your service and we thank you for giving your time and your putting your life on the line to defend the United States of America. And that's really what veterans are. We're defenders. We're defenders of the country and we're also defenders of the ideals and principles that our country represents. 
And so on this day, I think it's appropriate that we, we think a little bit about what it's like for those who have served and what kind of sacrifices that they made. Not just the individual veteran, but also the family members. I remember when I deployed to Iraq in 2006, my wife stayed home with uh, a newborn and a two-year-old while I was deployed. And so I know that was very difficult and stressful for her, as is the case for, for many families of veterans um, whether they deploy or whether they just go on training exercises or whether they're assigned to a, a new location where they don't have um, a lot of family members or they don't have a, a strong support network of, of loved ones or friends in a new location, those are the types of sacrifices that the family members of veterans are often called upon to shoulder. And I think it's appropriate that we remember the sacrifices that families and friends of veterans make as well as the veterans themselves. Of course, part of the uh, a big part of the service for military veterans is not just defending the country, which we do, but also representing the ideals that the country uh, is founded upon. Military veterans take an oath of office, and the oath I took was an oath of loyalty to the Constitution of the United States to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and I think that is common to all services and uh, all branches of service and regardless of whether you're uh, active duty or reserve um, or what your your capacity is I think thinking back on on the time that I, I spent in uniform just to share briefly a, a little bit of, of experience uh, that I had um, probably the best assignment I ever had was a special duty assignment I had in Air Force recruiting service so that was a three-year special duty assignment and I, I spent a lot of time on the road I was probably TDY which is what we mean what we call temporary duty which means you if you're you're away from your home base and you're away from your home for a few days to do a mission somewhere else usually it could be close by within driving range but sometimes you have to get on a plane and, and, and go a little bit farther um, so I was I was TDY quite frequently um, on average at least once a week and we covered a four-state area in the Midwest, including Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, and Missouri. And I had the chance uh, in, that, uh, in that role as the RSO, which was the Recruiting Service um, Flight Command Officer, the uh, Ops Officer there, which is the, the second-in-command of our squadron, I had the chance to meet all the, uh, the young folks who were interested in enlisting or going through officer training, as I did, um, to join our, our service uh, and during those three years, I think we, we assessed something like, I don't know, 3,000 or, or 3,200 uh, people uh, in total. And so it was, it was really exciting to see all those young folks who had a lot of different options available to them, but they were still choosing to join the United States Air Force. They had good, these folks almost invariably had excellent grades and they were high, high achievers. They could have done anything they wanted to, but they chose to join the United States Air Force. And I've seen, and I had, I got a chance to work with the, my counterparts from the other branches of service. We knew each other quite well from the Army, Marines, uh, and Navy, and Coast Guard. We, we met regularly, and I had a chance to see their young folks that were joining those branches of service as well, and they shared uh, the same qualities uh, as the recruits that we had. And I think that's important for a couple of reasons. One, we have an all-volunteer force, and that's something that's unusual in the uh, in the grand scheme of things across the world you don't often find that I remember uh, the first time I ever had a chance to work with uh, the Saudis 
they would ask, uh, okay, really, how many of your how many of your uh, your troops are conscripts? And when we would, you know, we would tell them none, and they would say, okay, yeah, yeah, but the cameras are off now. You don't have to say that anymore. Really, how many are conscripts? And of course, you know, we would we would repeat, well, none of them are. They're all volunteers. And so they they didn't really. I think some of the some of our Saudi friends didn't really accept that or want to believe that that was really true um, at first because it's so unusual. And when you compare it to other countries, in most other nations, uh, military members are um, service members are there because they were compelled to. The service is compulsory, as we've just seen recently in the case of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, with Russia forcibly conscripting a lot of reservists onto uh, active duty, whether they wanted to or not. We don't do that here in the United States. Um, we've had an all-volunteer force for quite some time, for all of my lifetime. And that is a, a benefit in the sense that we get people who join the military because they want to be there. And so I think that's important for Veterans Day to recognize that the veterans that we are working with today and are honoring today, especially those who have served um, after, the, uh, after Vietnam, were, were volunteers. They chose to be there. They wanted to serve. Now, that doesn't in any way mean that we slight people the service of those who came before i don't mean that at all i simply recognize a, a difference in, in folks who, who made a conscious decision to join versus those who had to uh, because they were they were drafted um, and certainly we owe a continuing debt to the greatest generation um, those of the uh, world war ii generation who fought uh, many of them were not volunteers they were drafted and they they fought honorably and defeated the Nazi regime of uh, Adolf Hitler and the totalitarian regime of Japan. So we owe them a continuing debt of gratitude. Um, their service was just as honorable, even though they, they had to uh, do so because they uh, were drafted. But we don't do the draft anymore. And I think it's important we talk a little bit about why that is, why we decided to go with an all-volunteer force uh, instead of with draftees. It was something our founders were, the founders of the United States were concerned about. They were worried about professional armies, long-standing professional militaries, because they knew their history. Uh, and in the course, across the ages and across the centuries, the professional military is usually the first uh, group that would-be tyrants call on in order to seize power uh, for themselves, and, and that invariably has been true uh, across history. And of course, our founders also lived amongst um, the British who quartered troops in Americans' homes and who they regularly witnessed uh, British military forces detaining and abusing and sometimes even summarily executing Americans, and they had no recourse. And so they were understandably concerned about uh, longstanding armies. And they put in our Constitution a number of safeguards to prevent any future American military from behaving in the way that they saw the British uh, military behaving at the time of the country's founding, and which includes a constitutional amendment to prohibit quartering of troops. We may find that kind of strange today because we've never seen it, um, but, the, but our founders certainly did. And so they were concerned about it and put that safeguard in place so that the military of the United States could not do that. 
We actually see that um, just as a recent example. The Russian forces have been doing that in Ukraine. Their military members have been taking over private residences and just putting their forces there. So you can imagine how terrible that is for the people who've had armed invaders just come in and kick them out of their homes and then take over their homes for themselves. Um, I can only imagine how infuriating that must be for the Ukrainians. But we don't do that in the United States, and our founders put that safeguard in there for that reason. But we did decide to go with the all-volunteer force, and that is significant because it has allowed us to recruit individuals who want to be there. Now, this has been a blessing in the sense that we get highly motivated recruits, but it's also come with a price, and that price is that there has become a growing sort of divide and, and a gap between those who have served and those who haven't. So it's referred to in the academic world as the civilian military or the civil military divide. And that simply means a different set of perceptions and understandings in one group. So on one hand, you have people who are veterans or people who have loved ones or friends who are veterans. They have a certain way of looking at the military and what it does. And then you have folks who have never served and don't know anyone who's ever served. And that group of people has a very different perception and understanding of what the military is, how it functions, and what it does. And one of the things the volunteer force over time has done is it has shifted the burden of service onto those who want to serve, which is a smaller number of people over time. So something like, I think now... Um, the percentages are falling, and of course, as, as time goes on and as age catches up with veterans from uh, earlier conflicts, such as the, the First and Second World Wars, their numbers unfortunately decrease due to age, and the overall demographic in the population changes so that fewer Americans have ever served in uniform or know people who served than during those earlier conflicts, and that contributes to a gap in the way those two different groups see things. And that affects how they look at each other. It affects how they, those groups think about whether or not we should go to war. And it affects how they think about whether or not we should continue funding our military at the current level. Of course, we don't do politics on this, on this program. We're just doing history. But it's inevitable that we run up against that in history because it's very much a political decision when a country has to decide whether or not it goes to war or how much and at what level it, it pays its military members, how big it makes its military, or what kind of benefits it gives to those who have served. And, of course, those are continuing and ongoing political discussions here in the United States. And we'll stay away from those today um, because folks can, can advocate for the, the policies they want on their own time. But it does impact uh, veterans. We now have a large number of military veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Their numbers, as time goes on, will be greater than the number of veterans who served in previous conflicts simply because of um, age. And as the younger, as the older, rather, generation unfortunately dies off, will be um, the, the veterans from earlier conflicts will increase in number. And so those will become the majority uh, over time. And they face a different set of challenges than veterans from earlier conflicts. And one reason for that is an advance in medical science. A lot of veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan survived injuries that would have been fatal to service members from earlier conflicts. So if, if you had had that injury in, in Vietnam or in World War II, it would have been fatal. They would have been killed in action. But thanks to advances in medical science and battlefield medicine, which has, has come an incredibly long way, 
those individuals survived. And so they're still alive and they will require lifelong uh, medical care and service. And that is something, that is a cost of war that the country will have to bear. I actually had the chance once to fly on an Aeromed flight, which was, um, this was back in, I guess, 2006. And I had been given emergency leave from Iraq to come back just for a few days for the birth of my youngest son. And I, I appreciate, by the way, and thank the Red Cross for helping make that happen. But the only way for me to get there on time was for me to fly on a transport plane. And so they had an extra seat on one of the Aeromed flights that was coming out of um, Joint Base Balad in Iraq, which is a big medical center there, or it used to be. And so I had a, a chance firsthand to witness just how far battlefield medicine has come. We had individuals who had been wounded by improvised explosive devices um, in the, on the battlefield in Iraq who only hours before who were put onto that plane and we had there were trauma teams attending to them on the flight and it, it took about I guess I think it was maybe five hours for us to fly from um, Balad Iraq to uh, Landstuhl Germany and when we landed there and the back of the plane opened up uh, just an entire swarm of, of medical personnel descended on the uh, those who were who were wounded and they were taken immediately to more um, permanent medical facilities there at Landstuhl to receive the care that they need. So we're thankful that, um, that advances in medicine were able to s enabled us to save their lives. But in the long term, from a national perspective and from a national veteran's perspective, we have a lot more wounded veterans from those conflicts that will need lifelong care than we did in previous conflicts. And so that is something the country will have to decide what it wants to do in the future. And that is that is comes with the territory of caring for those who, who served and who wore the uniform and who defended their country. That is one aspect of, of Veterans Day that I wanted to talk about. Another aspect is the, the ideals and principles that the country is founded upon. You know, we, we set, when we recite the Pledge of Allegiance, sometimes we forget when we say liberty and justice for all, those words are far-reaching and consequential. And if we really think about it, it doesn't say liberty and justice for all Americans. It says liberty and justice for all. And so the Pledge of Allegiance does not limit us only to American citizens. Um, it says liberty and justice for all, meaning everyone, everywhere. And, of course, that's, that's impossible for any one group of people to achieve by themselves. That's, those are lofty ideals, and they're noble ideals, but they're also incredibly difficult for us to achieve. And so veterans who serve during peacetime have another set of obligations to train and prepare for war, but also to live up to the standards of service and the ideals that we represent. Because we have a large military presence throughout the world. We have military bases all over the world. We have them in Asia. We have them in South Korea. We have them in Europe and many other places in the Middle East. And so those who serve on peacetime, in a way, are also American ambassadors to many other places in the world. So when we're not engaged in combat operations, but we're still serving in a foreign country, we are ambassadors uh, of the United States. And so people from those countries will come into contact with us long before they will come in contact with any other American citizens. And in fact, they may never... Uh, come in contact with any other American citizens except those who wear the uniform. So veterans also have standards of behavior to live up to uh, during peacetime. We have the same thing during wartime. I don't mean to say that that stops during wartime, but the focus 
uh, when we're engaged in actual hostilities, the, the top priority is to win the battles and to win the fight and defend the country. That's number one. Um, when we're not engaged in, in an active war zone, when we're not actively in, in a conflict, we can shift our priorities to training and preparing for war. And part of that is being good ambassadors to those that we meet in other countries because our reputation matters and how people perceive us and think about us matters. And so when we present a good image to the world and we present a good reputation, which the U.S. military largely has, nobody's perfect, and I'm not saying that ours is. No, no military will ever be perfect. There will always be problems and there will always be challenges. But we admit that we have those problems and we admit that there are challenges and we actively undertake and commit resources to fixing them. And so that, I think, is another reason why we should commemorate and, and thank uh, the veterans who serve on peacetime as well, because they are still defenders. They're still protecting us from that potential threat that's out there. And the world is a dangerous place. It always has been. It always will be. It's one of the benefits of American life that you can return to the joys of your your pursuits of happiness and liberty in your private life and pursue whatever business or interest that you that you want to pursue. Well, one of the reasons why you're able to do that is because the military is there to keep foreign invaders away. And, you know, foreign invaders come in and they take over. All of a sudden, you don't have, uh, you can't pursue life, liberty, and happiness anymore because you're under the control of a foreign power. And so the military prevents that. And that's another reason why we should be thankful for veterans and their service because they enable the freedoms that we have here to be exercised to the fullest possible extent. We could not have the ability, we could not pursue life, liberty, and happiness without defenders preserving the freedom that we need in order to follow those pursuits. And I think that's an important aspect of uh, veteran service that we sometimes don't think as much about as we should. For veterans who are out there today who may be serving uh, on active duty right now or who recently served we look around at a, at a dangerous world and we see war in Ukraine on the doorstep of Poland, which is our ally. We are treaty bound to come to their defense. Should there be an attack on Poland, the United States would be treaty bound by Article 5 of the NATO treaty to come to Poland's defense. They came to our defense on 9-11. There, so there is one at least imminent potential conflict that veterans are concerned about, and rightly so, because they may have to, they may find themselves in harm's way in the future, in order to deal with that conflict. Should it expand beyond Ukraine and Russia, I hope it doesn't. I definitely hope it doesn't, and I think almost all veterans hope that that does not happen. But we still have a, we're still duty bound, and we still have an obligation to prepare for that possibility if it happens. One other really good thing about Veterans Day I wanted to, to briefly talk about is it, it really helps those, when you're, when you're in uniform and when you're on active duty, it, it's really a great feeling that you have when civilians and when the, the population of America show their appreciation for your service. It really helps you. It really feels good. It makes you feel good about yourself and about your mission. And I, I can't tell you how many times... Um, I've went to lunch when I was on active duty. I would go to lunch and I would be off base somewhere eating lunch and I'd sit there waiting for the check to come and I'd wait for the check to come and finally I'd ask the server, I said, what, what's the, what's the holdup? You know, I, I've got to get back to work. And they said, oh, your, your meal's already been paid for uh, and, and by an anonymous stranger and they, they requested that their identity remain secret. 
Um, and so you, you, that the first time that ever happened to me, it would just kind of astonished me. Um, and, and when it happened again and again, you just, you, you just really feel thankful that you have that much uh, support and, and uh, the approval of the community and of the country that you serve. And I've also made it a habit, and I've had the chance to do this twice now. Um, I had a chance to return that favor um, by paying for the meals of folks that I saw who were in uniform. And this is after I left uh, active duty and I was a civilian myself. I had the chance to, to repay that favor, um, sort of to pay it forward, as the, the saying goes, that you can't really pay it back. Uh, but that's really something that we, we appreciate. I know all veterans are thankful for that, and it really helps us uh, to, to shoulder the difficulties of, of service a little bit more easily, uh, knowing that the community not only um, thanks us and appreciates for us, but really has really supports everything we do. And that is something from, from veterans, I think, across the uh, country would agree on. It really means a lot that we, we have this support. So on Veterans Day, you know, whatever, whatever means you choose to display or show your thanks, it's appreciated. Whether you put out a, you know, a sticker, a bumper sticker, or hang a flag, or post something on, on Facebook, or just say thank you to uh, someone you know who served, whatever the, the means of conveyance is, it doesn't matter. It's all appreciated. So know that veterans really do appreciate that. It makes a, it makes a difference to those who are serving and to those who have served, that they know the American public and the American people are behind them. So to the folks who are going to do that and who are already doing it today, we thank you for showing your support and for supporting us uh, in our mission. And the mission will go on. We will always need a military, so there will always be a need for veterans. We will always need defenders. I don't think, unfortunately, we'll ever reach a time where we can say we no longer need a military. That's just the way the world is, and it probably always will be. And so the next generation of defenders are already coming into their own today. And, I, of course, I think of my son as, you know, 18 years old enlisting in the Marine Corps and his contemporaries who are choosing to do the same. And so it's good to know that, that the, uh, the, the generation have passed the torch from uh, one to the next and that the new generation is ready to step up and defend the country just like their uh, their predecessors did. And I know that they will do uh, just as good a job as their uh, their fathers and their forefathers and, and mothers and who served before them will do. Uh, you know, I, we, we say forefathers, that's that's a constant term. I don't mean to imply that it's, that it's only men. It's certainly not. Um, we thank women veterans for their service as well throughout the, the same time period, and they will continue to play an important role um, in the military uh, today, and, and they are defending our country just as much as their male counterparts are. And so we thank them as well. I hope everyone has a great Veterans Day. I hope uh, everyone is able to have the chance to, to talk to a veteran or thank a veteran, take a little bit of time and think about what the, uh, what the day means and its significance. And I thank everyone for listening. I hope this has been just a brief overview of the importance of the day and where it came from and what it means. We do have an exhibit here at the Big Sandy Heritage Center Museum. We have a, a military exhibit room that contains artifacts, including uniforms and letters and other uh, different items from the past that were either carried, worn, or written by veterans of our region. So they came from the local area, from Pike County or, or from the surrounding counties. And so if you want to come and visit us today, we would welcome you. And I want to remind everyone that veterans are 
uh, admitted for free today on Veterans Day. So all you have to do is show any any ID card or, or provide any other form of uh, verification that you, you served and you will get free admission to the Big Sandy Heritage Center Museum because we support our veterans and we believe it's important to preserve and protect our past and our heritage. So we look forward to seeing you and I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you. Take care.